0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Father, as we just sang, it is true. When we look at the cross, we do see love. We understand it. We experience it. We have you to thank for that, and so we do. We say, Lord, bless your holy name for loving us in this way that you sent your Son to save. And Lord, I pray now that you would save us still more in different and continuing ways. I don't mean save in the initial sense. I mean work savingly to turn us towards yourself. We who are already saved continue to work in us. Save us from sin. Save us from ourselves. Save us from what would actually be sorrow. Teach us to love. Teach us to walk through the world like you, loving. Would bring honor to you and it would be good for us, but we are bent in other ways, so disappointingly and consistently bent towards love of self, so save us from that, Lord, I pray. Use this morning in that way open up these verses to us make clear your word i particularly ask lord that you would help me to carry some complicated thoughts in my mind and express them clearly and then in each listener's mind enable them to hear clearly to understand your word to understand the truth that it would change us that's our that's our prayer use our time here this morning, Lord, to build a church that is more like what you want churches to be, outposts of heaven, where what you are shines clearly within our doors and out of our doors, out of our windows, and it makes apparent that something lives in here, someone lives in here that's different than what lives in the world Make us a people like that. And Towards that end, Lord, I pray again, make the word clear to us and help us to think well. To speak clearly and listen clearly. Take your word, Lord, and change us. Build your church. Make us a people like you for our good and for the glory of the Son who is so wonderfully full of love for us. Teach, here now, Lord, we pray. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to Philippians chapter 1, looking at more of Paul's opening prayer to the church there in the town of Philippi. This is a letter that he wrote to them from prison. And as we said before, as a letter, it bears certain similarities to all letters of that time. It has a certain form that it holds to. And then it takes that form and in Paul's hand twists it and modifies it. And and in that we see much of of Paul's theology, much of the teaching to us. We saw that, for instance, in verses 1 and 2 where Paul Typically, as letters begin, he introduces himself and the audience and greets them. But he turned that in those verses and in the end ends up teaching us who we are. Servants of Christ and saints in Christ and recipients of grace and peace from the Father and from Christ. It's who we are, who you are, if you're a Christian. Then last week... We moved on to the next section where Paul takes a a usual section of thanksgiving and turns that to turn it into a report of his prayer of thanksgiving. So he's not thanking the Philippians. He's telling them how he thanks God in relation to them. So verses 3 to 8, we looked at the report of his thanksgiving. He is consistently, prayerfully thankful to God for what he sees in the church, thankful that they are partners with him in the gospel. It's what they are, what we should be, what God envisions every mature church to be. Gospel partners, people who are together in the gospel, who, who are saved, and then are together for the gospel, to see the gospel advanced out there and in the church and in here, in, in the individual human heart. That's what they were, and that gave him great rejoicing, particularly even because he knew that they were imperfect, and we look around and we know we are imperfect. But he's also thankful that God continues to carry out his work to mature and perfect all the way to the very end. What he began, he finishes. He matures and grows the church. Paul was thankful for that and gave him great affection for these people, for this, this congregation there in Philippi. That's where it ended, and that affection that he has for them is what leads him into our passage for this morning, verses 9 through 11. Like The connection is affection. So we're still talking about prayer, but now we're no longer talking about, Paul's no longer reporting what he's thankful for, but what he asks for. So he's not talking about praising anymore, he's petitioning. So as we look at this, we, we come to this, and we will see, as, as we look, we can look at it from two different angles. We can look at it, this is what Paul prays for. This is what Paul asks God to do in the church. That's what we should be asking God to do in the church. And we can also then look at it from the other side. If he's asking that to be worked by God into Christians, that's what he would ask God to work into us. So we get, we've get we got two different ways to look at it. So we'll need to keep both of those in mind as we look at this petition what we should be asking for, and what we should be asking God to work in us, in fact. Taken as a whole, here's my main point for this morning. I'm going to put it in a sentence. The growth of wise love in us leads to the growth of glory for God. The growth of wise love in us leads to the growth of glory for God. So we're going to work towards, I'm going to read all of verses 1 through 11 to give us the context again before focusing then making three observations from 9, 10, and 11. This is Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, As I said, I'll make three observations. Here's the first one. I'm going to express it as, as a command. Pray. Here's the command part of it. Pray for the increase of wise, insightful love. Pray for the increase of wise, insightful love. Paul, verse 9, states what his petition is. Literally, he says, and this is what I pray. He's telling them. This is what I ask for." And grammatically he means, pray continually, pray all the time, which fits with what he set up in verses 3, 4, and 5 about how he's praying constantly for all of them all the time. He's continually praying in thanksgiving, and he's continually praying asking. Praying all the time, frequently, that your love may abound more and more. And again, emphasizing something that's ongoing and continuing. Obviously, both in the grammar he uses and in the words. To more and more, that's talking about increase, obviously, more and more. And to abound is overflowing, growing. And in even the grammar of the word abound, he wants them to be in a state of abounding. So he's layering it on, top on top of, I want you to be abounding and actually in the state of abounding more and more. So this is not about something that's about a, a rival. Like, I want you to become this. But I want you to become this. If you, see, if you see the picture there. I want you to not just be somebody who adds this, but somebody who is adding this continually, constantly. What's the this? Love. An increase of love towards God or towards people? Doesn't say. And if we think about it theologically, we would say well, you really can't divide the two. In fact, when Jesus is asked, what's, what's the, the summary of the law? He says the, the single summary is this. And he gives two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. This love is the greatest commandment. So he ties the two together. And so we have to, we have to be like, theologically clear that you can't really talk about loving one group of pe- people without loving God or loving God without loving people. So those two go together theologically. However, I think in the context we can be a little more focused. Paul pretty clearly has in mind love of other people, love of Christians. In verses 7 and 8, he was talking about how he has these believers here in Philippi on his heart. He has a great affection for them. That's what's on his mind when he comes to verse 9 to talk about love. And later in the letter, he's going to talk about, he's going to teach them and exhort them to grow in love. So here he's, he's praying for what was just on his mind in 7 and 8, and he's praying for what he's going to instruct them about coming up. He's focusing particularly, and we should be focusing particularly, on love for the body, for the people of God. That's what is to increase and to abound more and more, constantly. That's our focus, love. So, what are we talking about? We talk about love. The passage assumes we have some idea. It does not define it for us. It doesn't give us a dictionary definition. And in fact, if you look throughout the Bible, you won't find a dictionary-like definition of love anywhere in the Bible. The best we can do is we put together passages and draw out things from different verses and different paragraphs and different stories. So some passages like First Corinthians 13 leap right to mind passage there that talks about what love is and what it isn't, and describes it a little bit, and, and gives a heavy emphasis on the attitude of concern for others and not a defense of one's own rights or one's own status. So that's helpful. Also helpful are passages that depict love, that show it. And in that vein, we're going to consider Ephesians chapter five. We're going to spend a little bit of time thinking through. You can turn there if you want to, but you don't, you don't have to. We're going to spend a little bit of time working through some of the pieces of Ephesians chapter 5 where we see love commanded and also love modeled for us in the most important model of all, Christ as he loves the church very helpful for us understanding what love is. It says there that he loves the church and then says what it is that he does that's love and why it is that he does it. He loves her by laying down his life for her with the goal of cleansing her from sin, of sin, of washing away sin, of of making her clean from sin with the ultimate goal then of presenting to himself a pure, spotless bride. That's all in Ephesians 5, within the section where he's commanding husbands, this is how you love, like that. So we have to think here about this. And I'm acknowledging, as I prayed beforehand, I'm acknowledging that right here, this next few minutes or so might get a little bit Complicated. If you're not accustomed to thinking, let me encourage you to start thinking. Why? Because as soon as I say love, as soon as I read my prayer that your love may abound more and more, everybody just filled in the blank. Oh, I know what love is. I've got some idea that came in here. We all do. We've got some idea from somewhere out there, maybe partially informed of the Bible, Bible maybe completely from Oprah. You've got something in here that that just leapt to mind, love. Oh, and that's what I should be praying for to grow. Oh, and that's what I should be striving after. We need to to stop and and actually think about what does the Bible say here. And if we're going to think about it, we're going to have to think about it. So I, I make no apologies, I just make a warning. Engage with this. This is how God, who is love, loves the church. By setting aside, follow these pieces, by setting aside his own right to be regarded as God, God the Son, set aside his own right to be regarded as God and took on the form of a servant. That's in Philippians. Philippians. And in taking on the form of a servant, actually even humbled himself further and embraced death, even death on a cross. He laid aside his rights, laid down even his life literally for the beloved, for the one he loves, the object of the love, the church, in order to do something. in order to clear away our sin and God's just wrath, delivering us then, this, this people that He loves, that He's targeting, to deliver them into life and glory and joy upon eternal joy. Which is really, 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 really good for us. But notice... It doesn't stop there. So, so far we got this. He laid down his life, and in this case, literally. He laid aside the right to be regarded as God and became a servant and be a hung on a cross, criminal, killed, laid aside all his rights and his life in order to deliver us to our eternal joy. That's at the end of it. Watch as this loops back. to present to himself a pure and spotless bride. It's all in Ephesians 5. It all starts, it all starts here, before the laying aside of his life. It all starts with saying, if, if I can personify Jesus a little bit too much, I know how I can make myself happy. I'm going to get myself a pure and spotless bride. I see that. But the only way that I can gain for myself let me, let me add, make the word a little more full. The only way I can gain for myself the fullest, deepest, delighted joy that I could know is to give to her this bride the fullest, deepest, widest joy delight that she can know. Save her. And to get to there, I will have to walk through the cross. But I'm going to do that. In the words of Hebrews chapter 12, that is the joy set before him that enables him to endure the cross. He knows this joy, I will will win her, pure spotless. So I will walk through the cross to get there. This cycle is very important to understand. I'm circling back through it several different times here. In the words of Ephesians, he wants to gain for himself a pure spotless bride. He's in it for himself. Not to use her for himself, but to bless her most deeply and eternally, which is joy for himself critical difference. I'm, I'm using language here that is deliberately maybe rubbing things here. He's in it for himself. Absolutely. But not at her expense. To her great joy and blessing, he's in it for himself. You've got to see the two ends here and what connects in the middle is I will lay down my life. Lay aside all of my rights so as to bless which is my blessing. So maybe we have a definition after all. Or something close to it. God is love. And God unleashes love. Pours out Himself pours out his love by willingly for the joy set before him, desiring his own good, willingly lays down his life in order to best bless, to most deeply delight, to prosper his beloved. That's what love is. Seeing the potential for joy set before you and the opportunity to bless the other, you willingly pursue it by giving up all of your own rights and all of your own agenda. I realize that's complicated, and if you want a word picture of what that looks like, just look at Ephesians 5, where Christ dies for the church. But I'm explaining that. I'm pulling it out because we have to fill in the categories of we want love to abound. What does that mean? It means this. I'm explaining it in words. What must, what Paul prays for and what we must pray for, what we must aspire to see grow in ourselves, is an increase in the seeing of my great delight is in the blessing of the other and a willingness then to go get that by laying down my life all the way there. That's love. And that may or may not have emotion in it in the moment. Now clearly, if I'm considering this is my delight and my joy, there's emotion in, that, in, in, the, in the thought, but in the laying down of life there may not be much pleasure at all. Christ went to the cross, a man of sorrows, weeping, in pain, probably afraid, but for the joy set before him endured the cross. We talk about love growing. We have to be very clear. We are not just talking about emotion growing. Eventually, indeed. But in the moment, and even in the long-term moment, perhaps not. It might be a lifetime of love that hurts the whole way through. Love is not primarily about emotion. It is far more about thought process. Even if the lover isn't consciously thinking about it. I see the joy set before me. This is the thought process again. I see the joy set before me. I see that it's found in blessing as best possible in the most deepest, longest, widest, highest ways. This one that I love. And I will lay down my life to get there. That's a thought process. Emotion needs to be put in its proper place second. Right behind and as a clear motivator for, but not as the primary. So really, really, love is not about feeling, it is about faith. Keep thinking. Love is not primarily concerned with feeling. It is first and foremost about faith. The faith that stands here and says, I believe that my deepest, longest joy will be found in loving that one over there, doing the best that I possibly can to that one. And I believe that I will get my joy if I lay down my life and go bless I believe, contrary to believing the lie that my best is found by sitting in front of the TV and watching three football games in a row, husband. I'm I'm coming right back to the Ephesians passage. He tells husbands, love like this. Love like this. Lay down your life to bless her and pursue your own joy in that. And many husbands believe, no, That's not where my joy is found. My joy is found parked in front of the TV with game after game after game, et cetera, obviously. Some of us hate football. But you see, it's a matter of belief, faith. Do I believe that my joy is actually found, my delight, what will please me is actually found in doing good to as best as I possibly can and as best as this one can possibly experience it. Do I believe that or not? It's first about faith. This is very important. Faith that looks and sees the joy in the doing good to, in the blessing of the other. Faith that says, because God has said so, I believe it. And steps out laying down one's life all the way through. Even when it doesn't feel good. That's what love is. And my prayer is that such love abound more and more. And what do you know? The next thing he says is with knowledge and all discernment, which makes perfect, perfect, perfect sense if we're talking about faith. I want love to abound, he says, with knowledge, a word that is almost always concerned with with a deep understanding of spiritual and moral realities it is not head knowledge like like physics how to build a bridge it's it's understanding what's going on life the eternal that's touched us now i want love to abound in a context of understanding what's really going on, and with all discernment, the ability to figure it out in this particular situation, right now, in this moment, with this person. Love to abound that is wise and thoughtful. Critical. It's love with knowledge. A knowledge that sees God has promises in front of me and in front of this other one. Promises of eternity and warnings about life and death. And I believe what he says to be true. And I believe my life is not found in keeping it, but in giving it up. And I believe what you say about how your people, blessed and honored and lifted up, is actually a delight to me. I believe that. And I see it with eyes that see, that are opened knowledge. And I discern what that would mean in this situation right here for that person. All discernment. That is what must grow in the people of God. Love, abounding with all knowledge and discernment. That work of illumination in our minds and in our hearts that we would see and we would know Where our joy is found and where this other's joy is found and how it is that I am in a position to meet that, that is given from God, which is why he prays for it. Follow that. It's given, which is why it's asked for. God, would you give sight? Would you open the eyes of people who do not see and therefore don't believe that their joy is actually found in the joy of this other? And so they don't lay down their lives for this other. They just live for themselves. God, open the eyes of your people continually, more and more, abounding. Always, I'm asking for this because always it must be increasing. He must give an increase in the belief that our joy is found on the path of laying down our lives for the other. We have that need. And we must ask him to grow us, to change us. So church, let me, pausing here, I'm at the end of the first point, about to move into the second. The second and third points are shorter. I have to to plead with you as a whole, and some are further along this than others. Many are further along than me. I, I understand all that. I have to plead with you as a whole. We talk about love. We read a verse that says love. And what you must not think first is I need to become softer. I need to become more emotional. I need to become more gentle or more gracious or kinder carefully. That may all be true, but that would be to increase in kindness, if you're becoming more kind. That would be to increase in graciousness, if you're becoming more gracious. That may all be true. Tenderness and not harshness, that may all be true. But what we're talking about here, and I'm calling your attention to, is love that is a little different than that. it might be very vigorous, very firm, and very painful for a long time. But if it is reckoning, In faith, you tell me that my life is found, my joy is found, my delight is found in blessing this other, in reaching out to, in building up your church, and I will lay down my life to get there. That is an increase in love. And that can look like Jesus, who loved the rich young ruler and sent him away. Many people might look at that and say, Man, that was pretty unloving, Jesus. The text tells us that he called him out in love and sent him away. It might look like the father of the prodigal son who clearly has a love for his son and lets him walk and does not pursue him to rescue him lets him go and go and go and go and go. Many people say to people like me who don't chase people over hill after hill after hill, how unloving. We should reckon, though, the Father loved the Son and let him go. We are not carefully, the reason I'm going into this in such great detail, is we must be very clear that we are not talking about this is my prayer, that our emotional tenderness would grow more and more. There is clearly a place for emotional tenderness. But that is not the same as love. That's the point. Love might be very firm, Love is very thoughtful and very wise. It understands the realities of what's going on and looks at a given situation and says, I will love, I will pursue my joy in doing good to you, laying down my life to get there. That is love. Maybe a little more complicated definition than they're used to. An important one. Pray for and seek after the increase in doing good to others by laying down your life as a delight to you. Love. Okay, second point. We pray like this for a reason, not just to be more loving. We don't pray that love increases just so that we can have more love. We want to be more loving for a reason. The second observation, wise, insightful love leads to fruitful, righteous lives. Wise, insightful love leads to fruitful, righteous lives. Verse 9, pray for the increase in you of wise, insightful love. Verse 10, so that, there's a reason there. Why do I pray this? Verse 9, so that, you may approve what is excellent. Or, maybe a little better, as the NIV puts it, you may be able to discern what is best. The word discern there is not the same word used in verse 9. I'm talking about the ESV says all discernment, but we have the same kind of general categories in play here. Verse 9, we want insight so that verse 10, we can test and figure out, make a good judgment of, What's the best thing to do right here, right now? What's the thing that would please God right here, right now? So I I want an increase of a love, a, a thought process, a willingness to lay down my life to pursue my joy in this other one that's with knowledge and discernment so that I can figure out what exactly that is right here and right now. I don't want to approve what's unspiritual, what's immoral, what's worldly. I don't want to be deceived into some wrong path of pursuing some substandard good, which happens because we all kind of can tend to define good by what looks good in our own eyes. I want to define good. If I'm going to pursue the good in this person, I want to define good according to what's actually good. So help me. Now, this begins to sound like there there are a bunch of confusing options that could arise here. Like, how do I know what I should do in any given situation? There's comfort here. He's not talking about wise decision-making exactly. He's talking about righteousness and sin. Follow the verse through. This this is important because he's not talking about, do I I know if if I should... uh, you ask me to borrow money, and should I loan you $50 or $100? I don't know. Or 75 or 76 or 77 Boy, just an infinite number of options. It gets so confusing. No, he's still talking about something that's not just about what to do. It's got a, a sin, wisdom, righteousness layer over it. Follow the verse through. So that you may approve what is excellent. Discern what is best. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's how the passage continues. Filled with the fruit that is righteous. It's the goal here, that I would walk in righteousness Moving backwards, that's why I would be able to stand at the day of Christ when he comes to judge. He judges Christians too. Not whether or not you are going to heaven or hell, Christian, but Paul talks about he judges us all so that we receive what is due us in the body, due for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. He will judge us for crowns and rewards. And in that day I want to be found blameless and pure, filled with the fruit of righteousness. That is, I want to be found rightly loving this other one. So give me, God, discernment, knowledge, insight. See the train there? We're still talking all the way through this about righteous living. Not just correct determination of behaviors. Righteous living. I look and I say, I believe that to do good to this person is what actually blesses me. What is it, God? Show me. He shows you so that you can live with this one righteously, properly in his eyes, giving to, prospering, blessing, doing actual good to this other one. That's what we're asking him to show us. In this situation, what should I do for this one? He shows you, and then you do it. That's how you stand blameless and pure, filled with the fruit of righteousness. He shows you, and then you do it. You don't just feel it. You do it. You, verb, love. This one. What he needs. What she needs. And then Christ looks at that and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. I see your life of righteousness, of fruit that is fitting and right. Blameless and pure, you stand for me because you walked through life loving this other one like I showed you to love this other one. And you did that in faith, believing that my promise to you When I say, son, this is where you'll find your joy. Lay down your life for this one. You heard that and you believed it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Blameless and pure. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Again, it comes back to faith. Do you believe that or not? Do you believe that there is a time coming when every single one of us, Christians, when each of us will stand in front of God and he will say, talk to me about what you did with your life. And on that day, Christian, approved, accepted, embraced by God, indeed, a son and heir, indeed. But on that day, you do not want to say, I spent every Sunday afternoon in front of three football games. Husband. Fill in the blank for for wife for Child, for teenager, for single person. Fill in the blank. You do not want to say, I spent my time loving myself because I heard your word to me that said, no, son, daughter, child, your great delight is going to be in blessing and building up my kingdom for my honor, which we'll come to in a minute. You heard me say that, and you said, no, I do not want to lay down my life. I don't believe you, Lord. I believe my greatest joy is found in pursuing my own agenda. And so that's what I chased all my life and I'm now filled with the fruit of wood, hay, and stubble. Mm. Do you believe that or not? Believing that is a large piece of how God answers the prayer of verse 9 to increase in us love with knowledge and all discernment. Love starts with a thought process. It's about faith. Do you believe standing here that's where your joy is found? you can answer the question by reverse engineering well do I lay down my life for others or not and if you find not you might just have found that you don't actually believe his word to you you might just have found that you're actually believing my joy is found in my stuff not in blessing the other Christian, all I can put in front of you is a plea to believe the God of love who never, never leads you astray. When he says your real life, your full joy, what will most delight you is found in giving up yourself to bless this other love. When he says that to you, it's the truth. And you may not find that until the great day at the end when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, blameless and pure, enter into your Father's glory. You may find it before then, but you may not. And it may not feel good the whole way through. Believe Him. Wise, insightful love leads to a fruitful, righteous life which you really, really want. Really want it. Finally, the third point. Paul's great and ultimate concern is the third observation. God is most glorified when his people love like this. God is most glorified when his people love like this. The previous point, I was using a lot of the pronoun I, or maybe I'm talking to you, you. I stand over here and I look ahead and I see I I understand where my good is found and I lay down my life to go and and act in a way that blesses this other and there's a lot of me and I and us in that appropriately so because I'm the one who's thinking and I'm the one who's acting you're the one who's thinking you're the one who's acting However, as soon as we say there is pure and blameless verdict on me, there is fruit of righteousness filling me, as soon as we say that's me, we have to immediately add on, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Because the verse continues, filled with the fruit of righteousness, that comes through Jesus Christ. Where does the fruit come from? From me. Uh huh. From him, from me. It does come from you. You have to think. And you have to make choices. And you have to to act in certain ways. You must. But behind that, that fruit comes from the whole thing's a prayer, in fact, isn't it? The whole thing is a request. God, increase this love. Open my eyes to see and know and understand and discern. It comes from Him. He's the one who bears it in me, and then I live it out. It is His fruit born in me. Through Him it comes. He looks at His loving and and wise and insightful and righteous child, us, me, and He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Or, to go back to Ephesians, well done, pure and spotless bride. I cleansed you. That's why you walk in love. In yourself, you walk in love of yourself. I cleansed you. I washed that off of you. I worked this in you. I loved you like this. I loved you in a way that changed you into one who loves like me, who loves others. So it all in the end folds back onto him. Yes, we bear fruit, and yes, we are declared blameless and pure and righteous before him, but it is all to the praise and glory of God, the ultimate goal, the last phrase. It comes from Christ, that is, it comes from God to his praise and to his glory. It is not just that we would be lovers and not just that we would be righteous but that in righteous loving God would be praised and God would be honored because God has done this work in us. It is due to him. He receives the praise and more than just the praise for doing the work he receives praise in all of the creation because what happens now keep thinking I know, I know you had to think a lot today. It's okay. I'm not apologizing for that. What happens is that when we are changed, God receives the praise for doing the changing, and then God receives the praise as me, changed one, steps into the world as a lover. And as I step into the world as a God-changed lover, what do I resemble in the world? the God of love. And so I step into the world and carry into this world a living and breathing, me personally and us corporately, a living and breathing testimony. This is God. Careful in this context, particularly, not that I am God or that we are God, but that, look, that is God. That is love right there. It is produced by him and them. They're not like that naturally. That comes from him, and that's what he's like, and that's what it looks like, and that's what it feels like even when people who reckon that their joy is found somewhere else other than in front of the TV, somewhere else believe that because their God has said so, and they lay down their lives just like the Son believed that his joy was found somewhere else, and he laid down his life. To bless in the deepest, widest, most possible way. To bless. That's what they do. That's who he is. What a God he is. I want to know one who loves like that. Who finds his joy in my joy. Not in using me, but in blessing me. I want to know a God like that. That's what we do when as god changed lovers we step into the world and so all praise and all glory is due to him falls on him and he is honored a marvelous thing he has done if you think about you think about love how much of the world's time is consumed with love chasing it writing about it, singing about it, experiencing it, crying over its loss. The world runs on love. And here it is. In the God who is love, and in love works to change His people, to be lovers, to step into the world then and show Him to them. You're chasing love, looking for it in all the wrong places. Here it is. And you can know here it is, because as soon as you meet these people, you meet me. Oh, that that would be true. Oh, that that would be true. Is it not unfortunately true? A world looking for love meets us and keeps looking. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The glory and praise that rises from us and that rises from a world that's drawn to him, seeing him accurately in us, a people conformed to his image. May he cause that to continually abound more and more in us. Let me pray. God, please help us to be people who really love. who love with eyes wide open, understanding the truth about the world, the truth about what good is, the truth about what's coming and where life is really found, who see all of that by your gracious work in us, and then believe you and pursue our own good in that done to others for others, with others. Laying aside our own lives. Please increase that in us. Love. Thank you that love often does include great joy even now. Thank you that it does include often great heartwarming affection even now. Thank you for the promise that love will one day produce the fullness of all delightful emotions. And until that fullness comes, give us faith to keep loving. Do work in your people now, Lord, as we sit for a minute to give give each of them a prodding, uh, a conviction, encouragement, whatever is appropriate for each one. But in this moment now, would you increase this love in us individually and corporately even now, Lord? Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission.